This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome back, everybody to the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, a free website that's all about Ohio State sports that you like and your friends like. We are recording this here on uh, on Monday afternoon. This is your intrepid, usual host, Matt Brown. I am the managing editor of this website and also the college league manager here for SB Nation, which is where, where we are recording here today. Uh, I'm joined, as, as uh, almost always, by my friend and colleague uh, for Land Grant Holy Land, Mr. Colton Denning. Colton, there's been a lot of, of rumors and a lot of discussion and, and some healthy debate about a certain spot over the weekend. And I wanted to, to quickly get your thoughts on what, 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 what you thought about this spot. Uh, before we get too deep into the weeds here. I slowed the film down to one one-hundredth of a second, and it appears that the spot was actually good. You know, you know, people forget that, actually. Um, you can delve into the frames as much as you want. You can call the Big Ten and demand that everyone gets sent to prison. Get sent to prison. You can, uh, you know, try to get Donald Trump to overturn you know, what happened here. But at the end of the day, actually... The spot was good. And, and before we, we dig into this a little bit, because I, I actually want to talk more about the officiating here from this football game. But um, you probably have seen this on our website. And I don't I don't promote products on, on, on this podcast very often, but we are proud of this. Um, we are selling T-shirts right now uh, that say, actually, the spot was good. Uh, so you can prove to your friends and your colleagues and the uh, Michigan slash InfoWars uh, listening friends in your life, uh, you have a chance to remind them that the spot was actually good. You, this, this, this is a, a t-shirt in partnership with Breaking Key, uh, who has uh, produced our other Land Grant Holy Land t-shirts. They're very soft, they're comfortable, they ship very quickly, and we sold quite a few of these over the last two days, and you don't want to be the only person at your tailgate who doesn't have one. Um, so uh, I would uh, the link will be in the post here. Uh, this helps support our website. Um, I would recommend you pick up one of these shirts as a Christmas present, uh, as a present to yourself, uh, to remind yourself here that um, the haters and the losers and the and the conspiracy theorists among us cannot take this away. Spot was good. Spot was good, right? You could buy one for the Michigan fan in your life as well, just to remind them that not only the spot was good, but as a nice little shit-talking tool for one of their greatest defeats and one of Ohio State's greatest victories ever. But in terms of the spot, 
I was talking to to other people that that I was watching the game with or that watched the game separately, and we all kind of came to the conclusion that if they would have ruled the spot short, then they probably would have stuck with the call on the field too, and and none of this would have happened, and maybe we'd be on the same level. I really hope not with what Michigan fans are doing, just acting extremely whiny, and we'll we'll get to their coach here in a second. But I I really didn't think it was that egregious, and you know, if Michigan fans want to get upset about something, get upset about Marshawn Lattimore throwing Amara Darbo to the ground and that not being called earlier in the game. But as far as the officiating goes in general, I really didn't think it was that egregious. Even even the Curtis Samuel play, if they wouldn't have thrown a flag, okay. But I think, you know, when you wrap your arms around the guy and almost tackle him when the ball's in the air, that's pass interference. So I really didn't think it was that awful. And I thought that the referees kind of for the most part, let him play the game. There, there was a lot of that. Like, I know I'm, I'm, there's been something about this game that's activated like this trolling gland that's typically dormant in my body. I really don't do this very often, but something, something about the after, the aftermath of, of this particular game has, has set something off. Let me, let me, let's dig into this here a little bit. I am sympathetic to the argument that the officiating in this game was not ideal like if if we just leave it at that i think it's a little bit strange to have a game that goes into double overtime and not have a single holding penalty called that's that's a little unusual to have ohio state be called for two penalties for six yards uh that's not crazy ohio state's averages i think around six penalties called a game and we're, we're you know playing relatively conservative on offense they're at home you typically get called for penalties less at home so that's unusual it's not like exceptionally crazily unusual i don't look at any of the big plays in this game as being you know just egregious beyond the pale officiating you know like the spot look like we've analyzed every freaking angle of this here it's really really close a matter of inches either way certainly not something that you could that you can overturn the pass interferences you know they i i you know there were there were some that i probably would have called a little bit differently but I, again i don't think any of them are like outside the standard deviation of what would be acceptable in a football game because these are this is part of a football game the officials you know calling a mouthpiece mount function and, and caught four Ohio State to burn a timeout that if they had they might have been on the win this game in regulation like that's yeah that's that's a weird thing but it's football there are occasionally instances of officiating incompetence that are so egregious that I think that they they leave the pale of what we would consider the officiating that you have to deal with on on a tightly contested road game the Oklahoma State Central Michigan finish uh, where a Hail Mary was allowed, you know, against the rules and the the uh, officials had to apologize after the game that might fall into that category. If one team was, you know, ex- massively penalized relative to the other, that might might fall into that penalty. And Michigan, I think, was only called for seven penalties. You know, the it, it wasn't you're right. They, they mostly let them play. But. I have no sympathy for this idea that Michigan lost because of the officiating. Because the officials did not turn the ball over three times for Michigan. The officials did not uh, have an injured quarterback drop back and throw as many times as he did. The officials didn't uh, you know, force Michigan to only gain five yards in the fourth quarter and completely fail to, to burn any clock uh, or, or, or put this game away. That was all in Michigan. So the, the fact that, that I think it is disappointing and demeans their team and their performance for Harbaugh after this game to just fill his diaper and complain about officials the entire time. And because of the where he stands in the Michigan community, both for players, for fans, and 
Michigan media, if we're, if we're being honest, and 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 I wouldn't say Urban Meyer occupies a, a terribly dissimilar position with Ohio State. Like th- that's been the 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 entire discussion here. The the players are complaining about it and alleging that refs are paid off. You've got recruits complaining about it. You have a, a Michigan radio station that is credentialed by the university, like straight up posting offici- officials like home phone numbers and calling for boycotts of the Big Ten. All oh, that's bullshit. And, and 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 it sucks because like it takes away from a re- the performance of a really good Michigan team that did a lot of things really well. It takes it takes credit away from what was a really good football game it it and it, it takes credit away from like this you know this entire ethos and personality that that you built around yourself i think i think i think it's disappointing if i was you know as a, i think a, a michigan fan shouldn't stand for it like you need to be able to as a as a coach or a leader within this team i think you need to be able to share some accountability and say you know what disappointed in the officiating there were some things that, that didn't go our way but i need to take responsibility here for my play calling and for our depth and for our ability to execute and our team does too and we didn't do that and that's that's what i have to say about that doesn't it make it just that much sweeter though i i know you're, you're coming at it from a michigan standpoint and you would think that the fans and the players and the coaches in that program would take that route that you know they can be upset but you would rather do it behind closed doors and you know really look back at the season you've had and say you know what it didn't go our way the last couple of weeks of the year but we had a pretty good season but just looking at it as ohio state fans you know, for me personally, the way the game played out and the post-mortem of the game, I-, I can't think of a sweeter victory for Ohio State over Michigan than what's happened in the last 72 hours. This has been incredible. Let's let's talk about this game a little bit. At, at what point did you think Ohio State was going to win this game? I thought they would win the game when they got to overtime. When Barrett scored, I thought there was a pretty good opportunity, and I was confident on that fourth down play that they were going to stop Michigan because the defense, and this is something that we really need to give props to as the show goes on, they were on the field for a long time in those first two and a half quarters, and they never backed down. They, they kept fighting. They kept making plays. They stuffed the run, and I thought heading into overtime that, you know what, th- this game is over. There's no way that Michigan comes back from this, and to their credit, they made the play on fourth down. That was a hell of a catch and a throw, but I wasn't too worried come over overtime until that third and nine when it really looked like okay if they don't have a successful play here and Tyler Durbin has to kick again season might be over I think I I, I, I think I, I reached a similar conclusion for you like after Ohio State scored the first touchdown in overtime and held it to 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 fourth down that was the only time that I I felt confident that Ohio State was actually going to win this game and then even after uh really a great catch by Darbo and just to send this into into second overtime, I, 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 oh, Michigan's offensive line seemed beat uh, at, at at that point, and and really the the defensive line a little bit there too. Uh, but I I had I you know. We watched this game in the office. I felt like I didn't want to watch a Michigan game around my, my two-year-old, lest she continue to learn words that two-year-olds should not. Uh, she's already picked up one of them. And I had made my peace with this with the season by, by around halftime because I, I just didn't see a way, you know, barring like two other pick sixes or something, that Ohio State was going to be able to score enough points. And, and you know, like I, I – you know, it's frustrating. I'm an Ohio State fan. I don't like watching them lose to Michigan. But – it, I, I, this, this would have been a very defensible loss, I think, in a, in a lot of ways. Michigan is an extremely senior-driven, experienced team. They 
uh, have perhaps the best, you know, duo secondary uh, in in the country. Ohio State's extremely young. They, they the depth on their offensive line has been has been banged up significantly. And if this was the year that Michigan was going to do it, it seemed like it would make sense that this would be the year that you do it. Okay, and it's a, it's a close game. Michigan wins by three or four or seven or whatever. And like you know that sucks, but it it it, it happens. It's going to happen eventually. And it didn't. And and this was a game that Michigan absolutely should have won. Yeah, I don't think there's any debating that. And you you brought up not being confident, just even coming out of halftime. And I felt the same way. I, when they got up 17-7, I thought that, you know, there was just no chance in hell that they would be able to come back. But, you know, once that overtime started, maybe it was a little bit more that I had made peace with the season than thought that they won but really when when they got the ball to start overtime I just thought you know what there's no reason they should be in this game there's no reason they should even have a chance to win and the fact that they're 10 and 1 with everything that they lost from last year with how the offense has looked at this time with going on the road to play Oklahoma Penn State and Wisconsin and now facing this Michigan team which you mentioned so senior laden is really this is this is their chance or at least their first chance it just felt like, you know what, whatever happens here happens. I was I was proud to watch them come back, and the, the fact that they came back and won, and the way that they won was kind of just the cherry on top to the regular season, I think. It was, it was, it was great. So now, I guess before we dig into what this means here for Ohio State, because their season is, is likely not over here. There's, uh, well, I mean, I know it's not over. <laughs> they're they're going to they're gonna play a postseason game. We don't exactly know where yet. Real quick, I'm curious, since Michigan was not able to get this done here with the team here that they had, when do you think Michigan will get their first win over Ohio State? in the Harbaugh-Meyer era. Do you think it happens next year, the year after that? Like, how, how long do you think we'll go before this happens? I think if it's going to happen, the first one is going to be when Michigan's playing at home. And next year, they're in a similar position to Ohio State is was this year, is that they're going to have to replace so many of those players. They're going to have Wilton Spate back. They're going to have a few other, you know, Chris Evans will be back and he'll be a year older. And there's a few other younger skill guys who I think can make an impact for them. But they're going to be very, not green, but at least unproven along the defense. And you would trust that Jim Harbaugh and, and Don Brown will do a good job. But I can't see them being as dominant as they were this season and I haven't looked at their schedule yet, but I would assume that their road slate is a little more difficult next year than it is than it was this year. And I think that it's more likely that it's in three years from now because I just don't see them. I don't see Urban Meyer letting this team or any Ohio State team lose at home to Michigan. I just can't until it happens. I think I agree with you. It'll probably happen in Ann Arbor. Anything's possible. Like, I don't think the gap between these teams is is enormous by any means, and uh, the less talented team can certainly win. This was this was a this was a very close game. Historically, <laughs> when one team isn't coached by Rich Rodriguez, th- then it's, this is usually a close game. I would be a little bit surprised if it happens next year. And then in tw- 2018, when the game's back in Columbus, Michigan's going to have a, I-, I think, a very difficult uh, schedule. I t- it's hard for me to kind of project, you know, what the team's going to look like that that far in advance. Who knows if Harbaugh or Meyer are still the, is still the coach by 2019? They, they could both be in the NFL at that point. I'm, I'm not somebody who thinks Urban Meyer is going to coach Ohio State for another decade, but I don't think it will be next year. 
In case you're curious, Michigan's 2017 schedule, they opened the season with an interesting game in Texas against the Florida Gators, um, which is as close as you're going to get to getting Florida to make a, a, a big non-conference road trip. Florida's offense is probably still going to be butt, but that's you know that, that 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 should be a competitive game. They have Cincinnati. Florida Gators quarterback Malik Zaire leading them into <laughs> battle with the Wolverines. Maybe may, you know who knows? May very well be. They have Cincinnati and Air Force, uh, two potentially competent teams that will not beat Michigan to close out their non-conference. Their road games next season at Purdue, at Indiana, at Penn State, at Maryland at Wisconsin. I think Maryland's going to be a lot better than they were this year, and Wisconsin's and Penn State are always difficult places to play. Penn State should be quite good next season, and Purdue's not going to scare anybody. You have Michigan State, Minnesota Rutgers, and the Buckeyes at Michigan. So I, this, I think that's probably at least a two-loss team, potentially more. We'll, 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 we'll see. Michigan has been able to kind of piece together really good passing offenses from less than elite quarterbacks. Spate might be the quarterback next year. Might be Brandon Peters. He might he might he might be usurped uh, by by one of Harbaugh's recruits. So we'll, we'll we'll see about that. To wrap to wrap this up real quick before we get into like we talked about the future of Michigan. I, I kind of want to talk just for a second about Michigan this year and and our thoughts on them because. As you said, I don't think that the gap is really that small at all. In fact, I think that, you know, you look at the S&P numbers and the F-plus numbers, you can make a very compelling case that Michigan, over the course of a full season, has been the more complete team than Ohio State. And I don't think that's crazy. I completely agree with that. And you can make a very good case, as the numbers did and the percentile performances did from Saturday's game, that Michigan was better than Ohio State on Saturday. And I think they were. But at some point, you know, you, you look at, at their schedule and they dominated most of the teams they played. They, they beat Colorado after falling behind in the first half. They dominated Penn State. They, they took care of Wisconsin, even though that game was close, and they just trashed most of the bad level teams. But, you know, Matt, what was your favorite Michigan road win this year? Was it at Rutgers or at Michigan State? <laughs> <laughs> well, at, at Michigan State did did give us a couple of um, funny memes, but you can't really compete with Rutgers when you dump what was it seventy eight points? Yeah, seventy eight nothing. And I understand you can only play the teams on your schedule, and, and this was a favorable slate. But in the two, I think biggest games of the season that they had at Iowa in that environment and at Ohio State, one they got out coached by Kirk Ferentz, which is hard to do at this point, and two lost a very winnable game and through a lot of fault of their own. And I think that there's something to be said for even with Ohio State's flaws, with JT Barrett's flaws and the offense's flaws as a passer, that at the end of the day, they figured out a way to get it done. And as great as this Michigan team had been all season, in the two moments that it mattered the most— they couldn't do it. So I think you can look at it from a perspective of, you know, the 30,000-foot view of Michigan was great this season. You can make a complete case that they were the best team outside of Alabama in the country. But at the end of the day, Michigan's best season in a decade was finishing third in their division, losing to Kirk Ferentz, and losing to Ohio State for the fifth year in a row. So kudos to Michigan. They're back. I... <laughs> Uh, that that is you know that that could be the the next Notre Dame is four and eight kind of thing. Like, did you know that Michigan has finished third in their division back to back years despite all the hysterotics and at Harbaugh everything? Like, I I think they're a really really good football team this year. They had an amazing tight end 
their, their wide receivers uh, as as a group, uh, I, I think, performed very well. And, and they also showed some flashes why this is going to be a good unit in the future. Like, Eddie McDoom is going to be a good football player for Michigan. Their defensive line was arguably better than Ohio State's this year. Their secondary was 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 was, was up there as well. You're right. They, they just lost the wrong games. And and if, if you want to, you know, take one thing away here, Michigan's play calling in the fourth quarter in close games has not been ideal. And, uh, you know, nobody's perfect. Harbaugh's certainly not perfect. Urban Meyer's not perfect. But if I was a Michigan fan, I, I mean, like, I, it's not like I think like Harbaugh sucks or like their program's in danger or anything, but I would be a little bit I would be frustrated. You lost a chance to, to 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 knock off the big program. You're being out recruited still, as 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 well as you're recruiting right now. And you've got some difficult schedules coming up. And people are gonna are gonna keep throwing that division thing in your face. And now you're gonna have, you have a Penn State team that's gonna return most of their best players for for next season that you're gonna have to tangle with. Good project. Good projection for Ohio State. Uh, mostly good, but what's still difficult here for the Wolverines, I think. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's fair to, to look at it from from that that way that, hey, Michigan was absolutely a top five team this season just based off of what they did, but their fans have every right to be frustrated with how two of the last three weeks played, even in the Indiana game last week before the Ohio State game. Uh, I'm just thankful that we're never going to have to talk about whether Jabril Peppers is overrated or not again. That is blessed heading into the offseason. Yeah, it is fitting that he finally got that interception against Ohio State, and and we would have deserved it. And had Michigan won this game, uh, you know, Michigan State should sell T-shirts about that interception, and that would be fair and justified, and we'd have to take that medicine. But that's not what happened. <laughs> I, I I hope that Peppers has an illustrious NFL career. I'm not exactly sure what what position, but I I hope he's not a running back though. I think that that's we we've established that if Jabril Peppers is running the ball against Rutgers, he can just tear through that defense like a hot knife versus butter. But when you have 11 dudes on the other side of the ball who, like, eight of them are going to go to the NFL, the uh, run Jabril left, run Jabril right, Jabril up the middle, it's not as as effective against those two- and three-star guys at Rutgers. No, yeah, that, that was a little bit... That would be well. Let's be the last thing I'll, I'll say about this here. But if I was a Michigan fan, I would be a little bit disappointed in how Peppers was utilized on offense. You have an extremely fast player, and Michigan wasn't really getting him into space. And when you're lining him up as a wildcat and just plunge him up the middle, and this is kind of what Ohio State did with Braxton Miller. It works in the beginning of the year, but eventually people figure it out. If you're not, you, you, the guy's never going to throw the ball, or not going to do anything else creative to get him some some room to move. And Michigan uh, for. All their creativity that they've shown on offense throughout the rest of the season, I don't think really did that very well. And, you know, we'll have to wonder what could have been. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that, you know, Michigan fans are forever going to be waiting for Kirk Herbstreet's words of, I think the Jabril Peppers pass is coming soon. Maybe it'll come in the Citrus Bowl or wherever they go. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit here about the, about the Buckeyes specifically before before we wrap this up. So, and obviously we're going to be digging a lot more into this over the next week or so. But it certainly seems that Ohio State has a pretty good shot of making the college football playoff at this point. The Buckeyes boast huge wins over Wisconsin, who may end up winning the Big Ten, over Michigan, who is, will finish a top five or six team, and also Oklahoma, who may who is, will probably end up winning the Big 12 and finishing in the top ten themselves. Not to mention Nebraska, who is technically also a football team that might have a number in front of their name and, and therefore might matter a little bit. They might end up being the first team to make the college football playoff without winning their conference. I want to ask you, one, how confident are you in Ohio State making the playoff? 
And two, what do you think the Buckeyes will be able to do if they get there? Uh, I, for one, hold no illusions that this is not still a flawed football team. To your first question, I think that I'm pretty confident that they're going to they're gonna get in with what their resume says. I think just on paper, they probably have the best in the country. I know that Alabama has absolutely demolished every team they've played, but just if you're talking about in terms of who they played and who they've beaten, it's hard to sack up any other team against Ohio State. And even the loss against Penn State was a game that they controlled for most of it. And to Penn State's credit, they, they took advantage in the fourth quarter and blocked a kick. But that was a hard environment to win. And I, I don't know how much the committee will penalize them. I, I think that they have about a 95% shot unless just things go absolute batshit crazy and the scenarios play out to where the committee feels like they have to leave him out but I I think that they deserve a spot and I would be shocked if they don't get in but if they get left out and they go to the Rose Bowl like I said I made peace with the season if if this team's floor is the Rose Bowl like I'm good I'm cool with that and as far as what they do it, it just depends on who they play because I, I think that Washington would would be a good matchup I think that the defense against Washington what they have out wide and with Jake Browning would be fun I, I don't know how much they'd be able to do against that defense if they don't get some of their issues at least corrected but I think that no matter who is in that three spot because I'm assuming that they would be the two or the three. So whoever's in the two or three spot, I think they could beat. Alabama, that, that's a different story altogether. I don't know if anybody can beat them. But the, the one thing that I keep coming back to is if they make the playoff, they're going to get a month of practice. And as we've seen with Urban Meyer over his whole career, you give him a month to prepare and, and get ready for a team and get his team ready. I, I'm confident that they can beat anybody. So I think that if they just make it there, it's all about getting to the dance. And they've done it before. I don't see a reason why they couldn't at least get back to the national championship. And if you do and you play Alabama, then you know what? You don't have to beat Alabama or be better than Alabama for 13 times. you got to be better than them for one night, which they've proven that they can do. I am not at all confident that this Ohio State team can beat Alabama. I'm confident. Well, not, I'm not confident. I don't want. I don't want to say that. But if they get there, you know, at the very least, we know what Urban Meyer can do. I'm confident that he can get them ready. But I, I don't think they'll win. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. A competitive game, sure. Uh, I, to be honest, I'd be a little bit surprised if. Ohio State won a playoff game, even if they didn't beat Alabama. I don't think I, I think Clemson's a better team than Ohio State is right now. But I would still view this season as an enormous success, even if they lose in the first round of the playoff. You know, to to, to get there without winning the Big Ten and and to to do the way perform the way they have in what would be kind of nominally a, re, a rebuilding season for Ohio State. I think I, I think is excellent. It would be very difficult to complain. If the Buckeyes are somehow left out and Penn State gets the bid ahead of them and they go to the Rose Bowl to thrash Colorado or USC or something, I can't speak for any other Ohio State fan, but I, I would be okay with that as well. Yeah, and honestly, if, if they do get let, let out, and it's it'll be because Penn State wins the conference, and I think at the end of the day that they'll have to look at that and say, you know what, we, we blew a lead, and we had that game won, and look back on it, and much like last season were they better than Michigan State the whole season absolutely Uh, were they better than Penn State the whole season I I would say so but 
you lost at an inopportune time, and the only reason you didn't make the playoff is because you didn't take care of business when you had the chance. But I, I'm totally with you. I, I think that this is gravy at this point. They've beat Michigan. They've beat Wisconsin on the road. They beat Oklahoma on the road. This is I, – I don't know how much better this season really could have gotten unless you thought that somehow they'd replace everybody and go undefeated. I, I think this season is a huge success and probably one of Meyer's better coaching jobs despite some of the issues that they've had. Yeah, not good enough to win Big Ten Coach of the Year, I'm sure. <laughs> that, that'll probably go to Wisconsin or Penn State, and we'll get. And this year, it's actually fair. Like, if you want to give it to Franklin, that or you know Paul Crist, that's fine. I would, I would probably vote for Paul Crist if someone gave it to James Franklin. Like, I wouldn't hate it. I, I still, I, I still think he's kind of an average coach, and we'll find that out more next year. But that's fine. You know, when, when you know, that's they, 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 they did perform very well. Is there anything else major that you want to hit uh, before we get into you know some of the other big things here for this week? Something we talked about last week was JT Barrett's legacy and kind of where he stands amongst Ohio State quarterbacks and whether or not this particular game against Michigan was going to shape that. And now it's easier since the game's been played to kind of define that. But I, I think now he is certainly a, uh, a top five guy. And we saw all of his flaws on display on Saturday. He was overthrowing guys. He was underthrowing on some of those, some a few of the deep shots that they took. And at one play in particular stood out when he threw the ball in the flat to Mike Weber and just like absolutely zinged it when Weber could have gotten eight yards and just threw it right over his head. But at the end of the day, he's just a dude who who makes plays and they kind of threw it back to like a 1950s wishbone style, which we've seen them do before where they just pounded him up the middle. And at the end of the game, he was the dude that, that made the plays and he made the fourth down in one play. And then they relied on their best playmaker, Curtis Samuel to win the game. But I think that JT Barrett for all intents and purposes will count the 2014 game since he played most of it three and zero against Michigan. And I'm damn sure not going to complain about any quarterback that goes three and zero against Michigan and all those dudes look at him as the leader on the team. So I, I think that he's cemented his place. I, I don't, I don't think we're totally ready to, to, to uh, write the final book on, uh, on, on, on Barrett. The, the Michigan game, I think is actually a really interesting microcosm of, of how people feel about, him, right? Like he, he, he was the, the, the quarterback that helped beat Michigan a third time in a row. He's undefeated against Michigan. He uh, it was a major rushing play that uh, helped put Ohio State in position to win. And honestly, the, the quarterback draw that I make fun of so much for its predictability what was one of the more successful plays that was run really the the entire game. It also showed uh, his struggles with accuracy, his struggles putting the ball downfield, a, a less efficient performance than we've expected, and really what's almost become the norm for Barrett against a good team post-Tom Herman. He's never been as good as he was in 2014, and we've seen better passing quarterbacks. But his leadership has been exceptional. His running ability has been exceptional, if not athletic ability. He's a big dude. And he's won a lot of football games. Like, I think, I, I'm, with, I'm with you, he should go down as one of the very best quarterbacks in Ohio State history. A, a Mount Rushmore guy for the last 15 years. I can understand why somebody else might feel differently. But it, it would be hard for me to look to look at everything. I mean, like, he, you know, he's, he's been the quarterback through perhaps the greatest run in Ohio State football history. Like, you, you have to give him credit. 
depending on what happens here over the course of the next month, month and a half, as of right now, what do you think the odds are or the probability that Ohio State willingly, not that Tim Beck leaves or Ed Warner leaves on their own volition to take another job, what do you think the odds are that Urban Meyer willingly replaces either position coaches or offensive coordinators on this staff? Do you think it happens at all? Uh, I'd be a little bit surprised. Meyer's been really loath to fire people. There might be some kind of arrangement where Ed Warner is strongly, you know, pushed internally to maybe become the head coach at Sam Houston State or something like that, you know, where it's not exactly a promotion, but, you know, you can leave with some dignity. But I'd be surprised if someone straight up gets fired. I do expect multiple coaches to leave the staff, but that is what happens when you're a really good a really good coach and, and you're a very successful team and your assistants are in perpetual demand. Uh, there could be as many as three, I think, assistants that could that will be in contention for, for other head coaching positions and one or two of them will probably leave. Well, no, I just think it's it's baffling to to watch Barrett now as opposed to watching him when he was a freshman and just think that he's regressed as a passer that much. And and Tom Herman is he's awesome. He's one of the best offensive minds in the country. But you know, it's just hard for me to believe that all of that freshman season, especially through the air, was Devin Smith and Tom Herman. That JT Barrett just like forgot how to pass. He just has no idea how to play the quarterback position because there's now a year and a half of tangible evidence that he's really regressed as a passer. So I, I'm I'm curious to see if anything happens in the offseason, depending on, you know, what their postseason fate is. Yeah, I don't know if it's a, if it, it's a health thing or if it's a, a, a supporting staff thing. Ohio State's wide receivers are very young this year and we're not very consistent and it should be much better next year. Or a, a, a coaching thing or a bunch of other things. But that, that's undeniable. That's something that we can definitely dig into more uh, as, we, as we go later on in the season. But I think this particular episode's running a little bit long. I know that I want to talk a little bit more this week about the, def- the defensive performances here for Ohio State this season, especially in this game. Uh, that was something I should we actually got some reader feedback about and uh, is lost a little bit in the story of this game, given how much we've just talked about the officiating. Ohio State's secondary and linebackers were outstanding against Michigan, and they've been very, very, very good this year, even while the offense has struggled. So we're going to we're gonna write some more about that. We might have some more Harbaugh content coming and, and some, some more things to put both this football season in context, what's going to happen next, maybe some rooting interests and, and, and some breakdowns here of, of the bowl season for the, the conference and the playoff projections. And we're going to uh, dig in a little bit more about Ohio State basketball, which – uh, has a really big game coming up at Virginia. Uh, they're just on the outside of the top 25 right now and uh, might be better than we thought they were two weeks ago. So there's a, there's, there's a lot to look forward to here on our site. Uh, so be sure to, to, uh, to follow along. Uh, we're at Land Grant 33. We're on Land Grant Holy Land on Facebook. I am at Matt SBN. And of course, uh, there'll be a link in this post to our shirt that reminds everybody, no matter what the Michigan people say, that actually, the spot was good. Colton, do you have anything else you want to before we let these let these five people go? Yeah, for the listeners, make sure to head on to Apple or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts on your phone and search "Hang Out in the Holy Land." Like, 
subscribe, review those reviews, help us out greatly. So we would really appreciate it if you guys did that. And you can also check out the podcast, soundcloud.com slash land grant, Holy land. And then on the website as well. And yeah, the spot was good. And uh, poor Michigan fans, Myers five and zero against them. That's pretty damn good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. My humble opinion. And with that, my friends, we, we will, we will leave you here for this episode. Go watch uh, the game again. Um, I thoroughly enjoy, I'm looking forward to an off season of uh, helping facilitate trash talking. In the meantime, spot was good. Thanks for listening, and go Bucks.